Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in the genre, but had their life changed by it in a major way. And today on the show, part two, another part two in a series of part twos that I'm going to be doing leading up to the show that I'm going to be doing in a couple weeks, the live tour, more on that in a second, but this week on the show... Part two with one of the most legendary figures in my universe of punk and hardcore, Tony Erba of the bands <gasps> H100s, ah, Nine Shocks Terror, ah, Gordon Soli Motherfuckers, ah, Cheap Tragedies, ah, Fuck You Pay Me, ah, Stepsister, ah, Amstu 11. Oh my gosh, there's so much that we could talk about with this person. Face value. Can't believe I forgot face value. How do you forget face value? Forgot Upstab too. Forgot so many. I'm forgetting more every second when it comes to this guy because he has done so much when it comes to punk and hardcore music. But more on that in a second. If you want to get in touch with me, first you head over to DamianAbraham.com. There's an email address there that you can send me an email at. There is also what you will see there is a tab at the top of the screen, and that says Tope sorry, tour-tope live. You click on that, you will see there are dates for the upcoming Turn Out of Punk live tour starting on December the 12th at the Great Scott in Alliston. In Alston. I keep saying Alliston. I got corrected on that. Sorry, Alston, Massachusetts. Uh, just outside of Boston, uh, we'll be doing uh, a conversation with uh, a bunch of people. Uh, they're all being announced as we speak, and they've some have been dropped already. Uh, I don't want to drop them. Uh, there's, there's too many names to say, but there's a lot of people coming. Okay, so the next day on December the 13th at the Black Cat in Washington, D.C., the day after that, December 14th at Johnny Brenda's in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and then on December the 15th at Rough Trade in Brooklyn, New York, I will be doing a big final uh, Turn Out of Punk Alive holiday extravaganza party. So these will be a lot of part twos on this thing. So that's why I'm doing all these part two episodes leading up to this thing. So click over there on DamienAbraham.com, buy your tickets, come on out because I think you will have a good time. No, scratch that. I know you will have a good time. As you heard last week on the live episode, it will be fun. And trust me, I am booking these guests to make sure it will be fun. So head on over there, pick up your tickets and yeah, that is that. If you want to get in touch with me in the more immediate fashion, then going over to DamienAbraham.com, though I do suggest doing that to buy your tickets. Anyway, uh, you can hit me up on various forms of social media, at Left for Damien, and you can find me over at Facebook.com on the Turn Out of Punk Facebook page that's run by my brother, Tristan Abraham. You can send him a message. You get the message to me. We also post all the cool things that get sent to us here at Turned Out of Punk on there, so you can go over there and see some of the cool things that get sent in. Uh, if you don't use Facebook and you still want to see all that cool stuff, you can go over to turnedoutapunk.tumblr.com and you will see over there that we also post all that same cool stuff. If you would like to support the show, uh, you can tell all your friends about it. That's the best way to do it. Word of mouth. But if you want to support it and you use iTunes, a really cool way to do that, I don't know, cool really applies, but a great way to do that is by going over to your iTunes page and subscribing to this podcast and giving it a, a review and a rating. I really appreciate everyone who's done that. Thank you so much for doing that. Um, and uh, yeah, 
that, that's, that's a great way to support the show. And also, if you go over there, you will see that there are a bunch of other podcasts in the Turn Out of Punk family. There's Turn Out of Punk. Then there's also Turn Out of Punk Footnotes, which is hosted by myself and Chris O'Toole. And each week we dissect an episode of Turn Out of Punk, get into it, uh, get really nerdy. Really, really nerdy. If you listen to last week's one, we have an all-star panel assembled featuring, you know, my friend Dave Martin, Dave Ackerman of the band uh, Tear It Up, and and then went, and always, you know, Chris O'Toole, and we dissect the shit out of the live episode and have a really fun time and some good digressions and chats. So check out that show. If you're into wrestling, though, you got to check out Clobberin' Time, hosted by Tom Bryan and myself. Tom Bryan is an editor at Stereo Gum and uh, a writer of all things around wrestling. He's written a bunch of different things, including that infamous GQ piece about CM Punk way back when. So uh, you can check out that show this week on this current episode. We have Colt Cabana on. We've got a lot of guests from the world of music coming on that show and stuff like that to talk about wrestling. But this week we had a real wrestler, a hero of mine, Colt Cabana, the inspiration of this whole podcast. So check that out. Also check out Oil and Flowers, hosted by Buddha Blaze and myself, and that is a cannabis podcast. So only really check that out if you like cannabis, because we don't really talk about anything but cannabis on that podcast. But if you are a fan of cannabis, Buddha knows a shit ton, and he has some really good guests booked on there. And, you know, I just kind of, I'm there to represent the, uh, the everyone smoker. Buddha's a, Buddha's a high-end smoker, so it's a different, you know, it's a, for you non-smokers, this is waste on you. But for all you cannabis enthusiasts, check out that podcast. And that is it for now on the other podcast front. If you want to check out some of the other stuff I do, go over to vice.com, look up Damien Abraham. Uh, you can go to youtube.com and also check this out. But there's Bloodlust, the Tournament of Death documentary that we did, um, Thank you to everyone who's been giving me feedback on this thing. I've been getting a lot of feedback on this thing and it's been, uh, you know, overwhelmingly positive and I'm very happy about it. I'm super proud of this thing. If you haven't seen it yet, not for the faint at heart, not for those with a weak stomach. It is a little on the uh, violent side, but it is awesome. Features former guest on this podcast, Jeff Cannonball, and, uh, you know, maybe some future guests and that too. So check out that documentary if you haven't yet. And if you have, thank you for doing it. And uh, why not check it out again? Okay. I think that's it. <laughs> on to today's show. Today on, oh, I guess I know. Sorry. One more thing before we get to today's show. Uh, Fucked Up is playing a show December 30th where we're playing with the Suicide Machines, Black Dahlia Murders, Mustard Plug, Municipal Waste, that, uh, like what a what a cross section of a bill that's in Detroit. Um, I I want to say it's St Andrews Hall, but maybe that's just because that's where my mind always goes when I think about that city. But it, it probably isn't. Um, you know, but find out where that is. Check it out. December thirtieth. It's going to be a really fun show. You can go to fuckedup.cc. I'm sure it's got information there about that. Okay, now on today's show. Today on the show. It's a big part two. It's a part two that a lot of people have requested since it came out. I would say that this is one of the most popular guests for, uh, uh, you know, for a, a definite segment of the audience. This is a guest who, if you're someone like myself, there are few people more iconic in the world of DIY hardcore. Tony Erba has been involved in, you know, doing this music since like the mid eighties, you know, late mid eighties. And he has consistently been involved in some of the best, coolest music coming out of Cleveland, coming out of all of punk. Uh, and he's also 
had a really cool attitude about how everyone can get involved. Everyone can do this. Everyone should get involved and everyone should do this. So he and I did a part one a while back. I had a super long disclaimer about his language. Uh, I told him I wasn't going to do that this time. Uh, it is intense though. It is intense. He's got a, uh, you know, the, the Cleveland, we, we talk about it in the episode too. The Cleveland speak is, uh, is, uh, is thick sometimes. Um, and, uh, he, he is without a doubt, one of the funniest, most charismatic, most inspiring people I've met in punk music. And, you know, we, I gush about him enough in this episode that you'll hear it all, but I wanted to sit down and do a part two with him. Uh, we finally got to do it. We got to talk about some stuff we didn't get to do in part one. And yeah, I think you're going to enjoy this. So everyone, please sit back, relax and enjoy Tony Erba on Turned Out a Punk. Well, Tony, welcome back to the show. You are the, uh, as I say, the probably like the first legit part two I've ever done. Well, the honor is all mine, brother. Thank you for having me back. Hopefully I don't bore the shit out of your audience. Well, uh, and, hopefully, and hopefully you don't see the need to make some long uh, <laughs> winded disclaimer about the, you know, the evil Irva coming back on and. I'm not going to say any naughty words to uh, all the fine people in uh, out there in iPod land. No, don't worry. It, it was it was early on, and I think it was my uh, my having to adjust myself to uh, the Cleveland, the Cleveland speak. As a, right. As I mean, I, I I was pretty tame compared to Fat Mike <laughs> talking about getting his leather bag beat with a bamboo stick or whatever his girlfriend's sticking of. Uh, Glass rods up his a hole. So, <laughs> well, this was the first. It was also you were very early on. I was very insecure. You were in the first. <laughs> you know, now I'm now I'm a, a an accomplished podcast host. You could bust out anything now, and I don't know if it would phase me in the same way. <laughs> you know, but let, let me tell you off air. I'll tell you about the pre Fat Mike interview. That was where it was really crazy. <laughs> Um, but no, Tony, this is awesome. Uh, I, you're, you know, you're, you say bore the audience, but you are one of the most requested part twos I've had. Far out. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm very excited to get into part two. And as I was telling you, because you are the first part two, this will not be awkward because of my hosting skills this time. This will be awkward because of it's a part two this time. So don't worry. It'll still be awkward. Oh, fine. Good. I'm, I'm comfortable with awkwardness. <laughs> but I, the way looked. <laughs> I think we kind of left it at like the end of Nine Shocks Terror last time. But I, I guess we kind of also got to get into the, like the start of Gordon Soli motherfuckers, too, because we kind of I don't think we even talked about Gordon Soli at all last time. It's so long ago. I, I mean, I listened to it the one time and then that was it. So I have no idea. You would know better than me. I re-listened to it. uh <laughs> You know, and I'm 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 ninety percent sure we did not get there. So uh let's start there. How did you know, obviously we talked a lot about wrestling. Not a lot, a little bit about wrestling. I'm much more confident in that regard too. We can talk a lot more about that this time. But I, I like how did Gordon Soley kind of come together? The singer uh well no in the band he was the bass player. I think he was first the guitar player or bass, something. This kid, Jimmy Rose, uh, he uh, is now the singer for Eel, and he's in a bunch of other bands. Uh, I can never keep track, but what a phenomenal guy he is. I mean, this mm -hmm. guy is uh, has done so much great things in punk. I mean, he's 
I'm so proud of uh, being a, knowing that kid since he was uh, just a little, like a little punk, like 14 year old kid. But he, uh, we were at some party and he said, "I want to do the. We should do this." I just had been playing bass for years. I hadn't sang in a band since I uh, left Face Value in '93. We were at some party and he goes, "I want. We should do like this." band and have you sing again and i'll play this and we'll get sean to play that and we'll have wedge play drums and uh you know just come out and uh you know which is where you write songs and have a uh only play a few shows and have a wild uh set you know a wrestling theme and you just talk shit on everyone and uh, you know i'm like that sounds fine uh we'll see if it actually happens but those guys uh Actually, I mean, Sean is a writing Sean Philly is a writing machine. That guy is such a great writer and player mm-hmm. that that easily wrote this. I didn't really write much music for that band, maybe two, three songs. But uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was we all jammed in the same room anyhow. It was Nine Shots, so we basically it was kind of like a project band to start. You know, like well, we'll just be kind of funny and you know, chair shots and this and that, fireworks and. Uh, but it, it, we actually kind of like a youth crew band when we first started playing, we played with all these straight edge bands and stuff. And, uh, it just kind of took on its own, uh, characteristics, I guess. And, and people seem to like it. Yeah. Like, I guess, you know, the wrestling thing, we kind of talked a bit of this off air. It wasn't necessarily a cool thing to be in a wrestling. Like there were, I guess what you guys, ultimate warriors and who else was, oh. was like, as far as like on the hardcore side, obviously on, we'll get into the Confederacy of scum stuff when we talk about stepsister um, in a minute, but like it was, it, it seems like, you know, there weren't that many bands like openly into wrestling like it is today. No, not really. It was still like, uh, you know, pre-internet, you, you had to be a real freak and uh, a connoisseur of trash culture, uh, which I've always considered myself. I just like stuff <laughs> like markets and fireworks and kitchen wrestling and uh, it's, you know, trash Americana, I guess. Uh, so yeah, it was far and few between. I remember those Ultimate Warriors guys. Those dudes were awesome. We played with them uh, in uh, somewhere in Pennsylvania a couple to, a couple times. They were really good dudes. We played with them in that Dead Nation band a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. And it's funny too because like Ultimate Warriors, that like that's piss jeans, right? Like they go on to do a lot of other stuff. And like you know, you brought up with Sean. It's amazing to see like the children of Tony Urba, and I don't mean that literally, like me. Uh, but I mean, like, you know, the, the dis- disciples of Tony Urba is probably the better way to put it, you know, going on to kind of influence music on like a much like on a, on a huge level. Well, look at those guys. I mean, they were like just a, like younger kids, but I, I really liked them. I thought they I mean, Sean is such a likable person and he has a huge heart. And Jimmy is like this guy who, who would be walking down the street and, uh, trip over a rock and find like a, a gold brick underneath. I mean, he's just like, God smiles on, on, on children, animals, the dumb and Jimmy Rose. And, and he's, just, he's just blessed. And he's, he's so likable. He's, he's got a ton of charisma and we just got to play uh, my current band. We just came back from Texas where we got to play with one of those annihilation time reunion shows. And uh, man, it's, you look up there and see those two just, they're fantastic. They're such good players and, 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 and Punks for life. I mean, those dudes, uh, Jimmy Rose is like the, him and Sean are, I mean, they've dedicated their life to it. It's funny. He, uh, he, he ended up in that band annihilation time. Nine shocks was doing a, uh, a tour and we were in some city still fairly close to here. 
And Jimmy just jumps in the van and is like, I'm roading for you guys. And we're like, okay. And he just never got out. We get to California. We play with Annihilation Time when Freddie Hammer was still singing. And I guess those guys weren't happy with Freddie. And Jimmy just stayed out there after the tour. And next thing you know, he's the singer. And then, <laughs> then Sean goes out there and plays, I don't know what the hell, maybe he went to visit Jimmy. And then he's a, he becomes a guitar player. Next thing I know, he calls me uh, from California. He says, yeah, I'm playing a guitar in Annihilation Time now. I'm living in a peach orchard in a tent. <laughs> <laughs> See, those guys played two sold-out shows in Austin, and they went all over the world with that band. I mean, that was my favorite band when they broke up. It was funny, too, because uh, it, it just goes to show you that the, the, those dudes are like true blue punk rockers, uh, even though their band basically, by the time they broke up, it was basically sounded like Sir Lord Baltimore, you know, which is yeah. like funny, all these DIY punk crust maniacs beating their brains out to a band that's playing Lucifer's Friends riffs. <laughs> I, I think Annihilation Time, too, it's like they got big, but like it's it, it almost feels like they when they went, went away the first time just as it was beginning to kind of hit. Yeah, I think Jimmy was like uncomfortable with them getting big. I think that's why he quit. He's just like, this is this sucks, you know. It's we're getting popular, you know. Like he couldn't. He's so afraid of anyone thinking that he's like some kind of sellout or anything. I'd always tell him like, who cares what anyone? You're being not charging a million dollars for shows, and you're you have changed in no way, shape, or form yeah. whatsoever. I mean, you are the most punkest guy I know. But he was like really, uh, I, and I could be wrong, but I, that's what I remember him telling me. He was like, "I, ah, you know, we're getting popular. I, I don't, I don't know about playing these big shows and places like that." So, uh, like, yeah, like he walked away and immediately did Rat Face, which is probably, oh yeah, right, Rat commercial. Face. I read uh, Short Dark Strangers. He was in that band, and yeah, uh, yeah he's. Uh, but uh, I just, I love those guys to death. They're. They, they far uh, surpassed anything I ever did. Uh, you know, they're fantastic. Well, you know, not, you know, you're, you're selling your legend short, Tony, because I do have to bring up some of the antics that, <laughs> that people talk about when they talk about Gordon Soley. Cause I think Gordon Soley, that era, it, it's, it's almost like was the era of people being like, Oh, we can just do whatever the hell we want at shows, like a band on stage and no one, was more like that than Gordon Soley. But like, you know, you think about like no justice and all these bands that were just going crazy at that time. Like, what was that? Was it Chicago fest that shit just got fucked up beyond belief? Yeah. Uh, well, I told that guy, it's funny. We just played a show recently. Uh, fuck you pay me did in Cincinnati. And I guess that guy had a band uh, who, who did that fest, uh, had a band playing there. My friend Valerie goes, goes, Oh, oh there's Anton. And I go, Anton. I go, who, who? And she goes, the guy who did Chicago Fest. I go, and I guess he was her landlord at one point, too. And I go, what the hell is he doing down here? I haven't thought of the guy in years. And she goes, well, his band's playing the show. I go, well, he's not in a hurry to say hello to me. Because I guess that show ended really badly. I don't know. We just went out there, and uh, we would do double duty a lot. Nine Shocks get a show. Hey, uh, Gordon Sully played, too. You know, kind of piggyback on one. And, uh, you know, uh, it just seemed like the logical thing to do. Because usually Sean and those guys would come in the van anyhow. Mm -hmm. uh, but I told the guy, put us on, la you know, we should play last is the best way to go about it. And, and the same thing with Thrash Bash or whatever it was in Columbus. I, I told, I told, I think it was my buddy Mike Thorne might have done that show. I go, put, put us on last and they wouldn't do it. And then the place fucking gets fucked up and then, then the show gets canceled. Our bands can't play. I'm like, 
great, man. I, if you want from me, I mean, but you know, our, our band never went, showed up someplace and, uh, with a bunch of plunder and, uh, okay. And the third song, we set off an H one hundred and the fourth song, uh, like I go through a table. It was never anything like that. I mean, that'd be so hokey, like kiss or something like bad, like bad Bush league kiss. We just, got up there and said motherfucker a few times and then it was off to the races like i think the kids try to up one up each other uh hearing stuff you know uh from the next town over oh well they fucking in philadelphia they did this you know like you know you know how kids are it's like a feeding frenzy you know like a orgy of idiocy basically has there ever been a time yeah where you've looked off from the stage and been like yeah this is too nuts for me no fuck no man never (laughs) i mean maybe just dumb luck that no one, I mean, just, we played one show at speaking tongues where it was like, uh, it wasn't a Gordon Sully show. It was a nine shock show, but like, uh, the fire department came, I think twice. There was a big fire in the backyard. Oh, it was out of control. Some like freshly minted Nazi skinheads showed up and, uh, everyone was like, uh, we, you know, they fucking, well, let's just say some people, uh, got a little stabby and, uh, oh yeah, it was totally out of control. But, uh, it's a wonder that nothing truly bad ever, ever, ever happened. But I don't think I'm probably like a, I'm a pretty like, a, um, uh, I don't want to say mild mannered, but like a cautious person, uh, outside of uh, playing shows and stuff like that. But, uh, in the midst of playing a show where people are stage diving and, and uh, you know, jumping around and beating their brains out, I, I lose any kind of common sense. And just, I want to kind of like, I, I guess, uh, I guess you don't know, uh, where the line is until you step over it. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of try to jump over it. Well, what about when you pulled a blade job with a Rambo knife? Was that over the line with a Rambo knife? That's the story at that last Gordon Soli show, right? Where you, you pulled the blade job on stage with like a real, like a huge knife and had to get uh, stitches. Maybe what I, I do. I mean, obviously I was fucking bleeding from head to toe for the first song. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember what I used. Maybe, I mean, I might've used something that was just like laying around on the ground or something, but, uh, and then that, but the thing was, is I was like real jacked up. I hit my diabetes is real bad. And my blood sugar was like, sometimes when you're doing strenuous exercise or like, uh, activities, it can, it, it, you know, you could either, uh, burn up a lot of calories and your sugar gets real low or, under duress or stress or excitement, it can go sky high. It also depends what you ate that day. And so I probably ate gas station hot dogs and fucking drank cider or whatever, you know, who knows. Uh, but I know that I wasn't feeling good. And we played that show it was so fucking hot in there. And uh, then I was bleeding. I was losing all this blood. And then to compound that, you know, these kids are fucking jumping all over the place off the PA and throwing wood. They uprooted the bushes uh, from the fucking thing of the business across the street. They're throwing these bushes and something came up and hit me, and I uh, I kind of like fell backwards. I hit my head on the, the edge of Wedge's drum, so I was uh, I was out for a couple, uh, I, uh, you know, maybe a minute or something. I was legitimately out, and uh, that that's really what uh, what happened. And then uh, I start, I started coming too. I guess these people were like, oh, you know what else happened is uh, I, that. Uh, I take it back. What happened is uh, Devin Morphy jumped off the PA with firecrackers around his uh, thing, and then he hit me, and that's when my head hit the uh, uh, drum, and uh, and then I was out for you know thirty forty five seconds, and then I guess they were obviously I was kind of on Dream Street, so I don't remember, but the, I guess the crowd was getting real surly towards Devin, like you killed Tony, you motherfucker, you know, like these kids were gonna like attack. So I I kind of you know 
came out of it and, uh, you know, shook off the cobwebs. And I stood up and I started cutting a heel promo to, like, diffuse the, you know, point in my head, like, you dumb motherfuckers, you fell for it, you stupid plebs, you dumbasses. And then the crowd, like, you know, fuck you, asshole. And then they, they took the heat off uh, uh, Devin, you know. How much of, like, an influence, you know, was was music on what you were doing on stage with Gordon Soli motherfuckers, and how much of it was wrestling? Like, I mean, wrestling performance. Well, music-wise, I mean, it's always going to be the same with me. I mean, I like either playing, like, dirty, kind of, like, boogie rock if I'm playing an instrument, or if I'm singing, I'm, you know, I'm no singer. I'm more like a, I guess, kind of shitty entertainer, but I like playing fast, hard loud punk music so yeah. that's kind of a given i mean that's what i'm gonna do uh but as far as like uh, you know like uh, uh wrestling it, it just uh I, I think it's like anyone who was like i got like kind of like i was like this doughy you know not a very uh attractive kid in junior high and uh you know the dream of being able to get up in front of a bunch of people and just saying horrible shit to them and being a, a total dick and, and no one being able to do anything about it, you know, it becomes a part of this theater of the, of the absurd crossed with, uh, uh, childish revenge fantasies meets, uh, you know, uh, poison idea, I suppose. Yeah. Like, is it, is it something now where you kind of, cause you, you mentioned you did take a long time off from singing. Is that something where you like now kind of, constantly want to be able to be out there like doing like fuck you pay me and also having somewhere to play bass or, or are you just kind of like able to focus now on one no just uh i'm slowing down i mean i can't play in more than one band at a time now it's just not enough hours in the day with working and being married and stuff but uh it just kind of it's just how it happened i mean if, if there might have been a situation come up where band needed a bass player that's what i wanted to do and that and then it could have very well went either way it just so happened that you know these guys were talking about doing this hardcore band so i said okay and uh so i was on vocals but could go either way for me yeah and i was gonna you know just before we move on from gordon solely motherfuckers but do you still think eric bischoff is the worst thing that happened to wrestling god he's fucking horrible well of course mcmahon you know but that's like I'm sure by the time the internet came along and stuff like that, of course, wrestling would change. It would have, there's no way it could not keep in step with changing times and technology, but God, fucking Bischoff was such a prick. I mean, he drove WCWs of the last vestiges of the NWA fucking buried it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he can fuck off. He's horny. He's so arrogant about it. He's almost like pleased with it. He puts out a book controversy, creates cash. I hear this guy in these like, interview podcasts all the time and he's just such a smarmy little creep with that fucking oily smile and his fucking stupid dyed black hair he's just such a smarmy fucking creep i mean if he's playing a heel role heel role if he's playing at it then he's just fantastic he's the best actor of all time but i really think that's just he's just like a creepy dude you know it's weird to think of him and bob mold interacting yeah, it's it's weird. Uh, Bob Mould says, "Oh, well, he, you know, he did uh, uh, came up with that Viagra on a pole angle, and then I think he tries to bail himself out of it by saying it was so stupid. I, I came up with the stupidest thing I could think of in a writers' meeting and pitched it, and they all went for it and thought it was great. But I think Bob actually probably thought it was pretty pretty sweet when he came up with it. He's trying to cover his ass now, you know." <laughs> I don't know. Like it's it's crazy how much wrestling he still watches. Like he's still. 
Like, I would say more of a fan than, I, I don't know, myself even. Like, he watches everything. Really? I, I would love to meet that dude. So I, I have one of those zines. He put out a zine. It was like, and he had like an a, a AWA Montreal or Winnipeg coverage. And I have it. I got it from actually Tom Dark gave it to me a long time ago. Oh, wow. Oh, crazy. Was he, he, was he super into wrestling too? No, he just, Bobble. Tom was around a little bit earlier than me. Yeah. And I bought every fanzine, you know, that came out. Back yeah, in the day. yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, it's funny. Yeah. Cause he like still like, you know, loves all that stuff. And yeah, he did that zine. And it's, it's weird to think that he was, you know, paying dues in the AWA at the same time he's doing like Husker do. Yeah. It's fucking insane, man. Totally insane. Who, who knew? Cause, but you know, Bob's supposed to be like a like a testy guy, but I bet uh you know it'd be cool to meet him and just start uh, you know like talking about like you know like talking about uh, uh wrestling. Oh no, if you like I like I I, lo- I love him, get along great with him, and especially if you talk wrestling with him, my God, that guy will go off. How do you meet all these dudes? Just like playing fucked up shows and and, and playing these big fests and stuff. Yeah, like just that, and then like also just uh you know like. Now, uh, I think I mainly met Bob. Well, no, we met Bob, like, yeah, playing a festival years ago. But then also because John Worcester plays drums in that, in, in, in Bob Mold Trio. And then Jason also, like, it's all, all three of the people in that band all came out of punk and hardcore bands. So, oh, wow. That's awesome. I just leverage the punk wrestling connection. That's all I just do, Tony. I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> you know what it's like. It's a winning formula, man. Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> I tell you, like, it's just, it's weird how these two worlds dovetail together. You know, there's just so many people that are into wrestling, like right back to the dictators. It, or the bass player did a punk scene back in the day. Uh, that was yeah. like a, a pre-punk scene. That was like a wrestling scene. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so when with Gordon Soli, was it just kind of like, did it just feel like you, I guess you guys played that last show at speaking tongues with what happens next and stuff. Was that, was it just like you just wanted to end it or you just felt after the 10 inch, there was nowhere left to go or, uh, no, I just, uh, I mean, nine sharks is playing all the time and uh, mm-hmm. doing all the touring. I had limited, I mean, I had time off work, but only so much. And it was supposed to be Project Man, and now we're getting popular and playing all these shows, and, and it really it's becoming uh, uh, pretty crazy, and I was totally fine with that. But uh, I just uh, I didn't have the time to do it properly. Sean and Jimmy wanted to tour, and, and I knew that wasn't going to happen because when I'm the voice of reason in that circus, I mean, there was no way we could take that act on the road. <laughs> I mean, anything bad could happen. These guys are fucking minors. I was Sean's legal guardian for a hot minute there, you know. It just seemed like it would be like, yeah, I just, I mean, they had a freer lifestyle than I did, uh, unfor- you know, fortunately for them, but unfortunately for me. I just yeah. couldn't have done it. And I said to the, I go, you know, why don't we be like this great, or not great, but I would never refer to my bands in that those terms. But I said, why don't we be like one of these bands, you know, not putting ourselves in the same league, but, you know, all this Fewer about the band right now. Why don't we be like a band like Negative Approach that puts out a record or two that's well received and then just breaks up right when people are really into it, you know? And just uh, that'd be kind of cool instead of overstating your welcome. And it'll be like a moment in time. And, uh, you know, I'm sure people, you know, when you're in the moment, you don't think that anyone's going to be talking about your dumb band in a few years' time or even a few months' time. Yeah, it was great. And then they move on. You know, punk rockers have a, I mean, Let's face it, it's, it's an easy come, easy go. So 
So they were, I mean, they probably were a little crestfallen, but they were cool. You know, they, those dudes were okay. Okay. So we'll play last show. And it was like, I think it was a Thursday too. It was a Thursday night. So we did that show. And then afterwards I died to go to Deaconess and get stitched up. And I had to go to work the next day and the beat goes on. And you know, the next, you know, two days later I had nine shocks practice and uh, those guys went on to do, do their thing. But yeah, it was just kind of a thing. Like we can't really tour and just kind of work. We've got a good name for ourselves now. Let's, how about let's just be like the kind of like an, an enigmatic band and break up like at, at the height of whatever popularity we had. So were you, like Stepsister was before or at the same time or just after? At the, at the same time, yeah. Well, so you're doing three at the same time at that point. Yeah, three bands, yeah. I think that's when I stayed at your house too the first time. Oh, when was that? Like I was with Ruination. I wrote it for Ruination and they played with Puncture Wound at Speaking Tongues. Oh really? Did yeah. I? Uh, wow! Yeah. I don't even remember. I must have done the show, but you did. Oh, far out, man! And then that, we was, like, that was like Andy Demps and Chris Colahan and all those guys. Yeah, and Ebro and Mike Halichuk. Oh, yeah. You know, I always forget Ebro was in that band and Mike Halichuk. Shit! I know it's like such a weird band. Like it's a, uh, a what a, a a weird collection of people for a moment in time. And look at all those dudes in the band. They're all like, just like uh, icons. You know, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, no, it's funny. It's, it's, it's like the, uh, it's the band I always say is the lesser of Chris Callahan's bands, but I guess like, you know, I should go back and re-listen to it, but we stayed at your house and I, we stayed up all night watching crazy videos, like unbelievable videos. But one of the videos you showed me was Apocalypse Poo. And that was- <laughs> And that was the first time I ever saw it, but I ended up working or and knowing the guy that made that. He's from Toronto. Really? Yeah, that, that came out of tr- like an OCAT thing. It would make sense because I think I got it from Woodford. Oh, you did? Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this- he's, a, he's a purveyor of fine filth, that fellow. That's awesome. That is amazing. No, it's this guy Todd from Toronto who made it. So I remember years later finding out he made it. I'm like... Holy, I've seen this before. I've seen this before somewhere. <laughs> it's just a hazy memory of watching it. Some Yankee asshole's apartment. <laughs> uh, but um, so with Stepsister, you guys played with like, what was the scene you guys were playing in? Oh, we played like, uh, that was like the rock revival scene. So like Tom had that band going for a, while, a good while. They came out, it was his post-night dance band. Yeah. They came out of the gate pretty strong with a pretty decent single. And then he wanted... You know, the, the guy has always aped someone, either Iggy or John Brandon. So he, tra- he had this thing, he was losing guys, and uh, he kept replacing them, getting one jabroni after another in the band. And then he, he took the band down this, like, pussy galore sounding, like, real sludge, painful rock stuff. And it was, like, it was terrible, quite honestly. He, it, well, yeah, people, you would clear a fucking club, you know, <laughs> doing the slow, dirgy stuff. I mean, very few bands can do that. Uh, and pull it off and gain any kind of following. And, uh, I mean, Tom's kind of a, an abrasive dude to start with. So he was good at being a front man for that kind of stuff, but it was not, I mean, they couldn't get booked. And then, uh, I forget how I ran into him somewhere. I was a big knife dance fan and the dark fan, and he was a big player back in the germinating first wave of hardcore in town. Uh, and I, of course, knew him, uh, you know, in Knife Dance. I was a big fan of that band. And uh, I forget how I ran into him. But 
he was telling me, he's like, I have stepsister going. I want to get a couple, you know, we need a bass player. And I sat down and talked to him. I, well, what do you want to do with the band? Because it, it's kind of not happening right now. The guitar player from Spike and Vane was in the band at that point. Oh, wow. They had just Leia, Andrew Merrick, uh, who's a great guy. But, you know, they were playing this. It just wasn't, it just was not the right fit. Uh, and I, I said, well, if you want it, you, you know, like with your voice, and you're still, you're, I mean, you're, you're like a, a very angry person. Like, like, why don't we just do this, uh, you know, do a real high charge Detroit thing. You know, I, I got a guy, I go, well, the first show we, so I joined and we kind of like learned the set and, and we, I think we played one show, uh, and, and, and Andrew's a good guitar player, but he was kind of like, I remember at practice, he goes, uh, you know, sometimes it takes like, you know, sometimes we. We, we flesh out a song for six months, you know, and I think to myself, Jesus Christ, dude, after fucking an, one practice, you know if the song's good or not. I don't know what kind of outfit you're running here, but <laughs> just, it, it, you know, Tom was like, Tom didn't care. He, he was like, a, he was so thirsty for the band to go somewhere. He's like, he's like, what do you think we should do with Andrew? I go, I don't know. What do you want? Do you want the band to get booked and write fucking fast Detroit, like, type stuff he's like yeah i go well then probably should either get another guitar player uh in with andrew merrick or you know whatever you want to do but we need someone who can fucking rip like dennis tech or, or, or you know ron ashton or something and, and he ain't interested in doing that so uh he goes whatever you say so he Andrew, I was insane. Fucking kick the guy out. <laughs> the guy out. I got my buddy Aaron to play guitar, and uh, and then we just started writing new songs, and then just kind of like revamped the band, and we started. It took a while, but then we started doing pretty well. It was just like basic greaser, Detroit boogie, you know, MC5 Stooges type stuff, you know. Uh, uh, so and then we you were just toured it out too, right? Like it, it, like it was on Smogvale, and and you guys toured. Yeah, we did a lot of. Uh, not like months at a time, but a week here, a week there, yeah. long weekends. Nashville Pussy, we went on the road with the Eagles at Death. Well, that was Amstel Eleven Eagles. Nashville Pussy and uh, who was that band? REO Speed Dealer and some yeah. of them type of bands. An anti scene because Tom had been friends with uh, Clayton and those guys uh, for a long, long time. Uh, Thomas O'Keefe and those guys. So, yeah, we did a runs with the anti scene and uh, those type of bands. I remember you telling me some story about getting knocked out on stage during anti scene or something, too. Like you, you had worked out some gimmick with, uh, with Clayton. Oh, I think we did like a gimmick where I, you know, called him, you know, like you listen, you, we're tired of this, you know, this. I hear this all about this confederacy of scum, and all, you know, you, it's a. You're up here in the great industrial north now, and that southern fried, borderline, sketchy political stuff ain't going to fly up here, boy. And I put the bad mouth on him, you know, I just ran my mouth the whole set, and I think he came up with the, the fucking uh, barbed wire uh, 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 washboard and clocked me over the head, you know, and, <laughs> out and got his heat back, and the, cr- and the crowd went mild. Because <laughs> meanwhile, you know, in our minds, this is like fantastic theater uh, to the, you know, uh, 75 drunks at the bar. Like, what what is wrong with these two guys? Like, this guy is like, like they're t- playing a show together and they appear to be friends. But this guy fucking the runny fucker on bass is like running his mouth uh, on this big fat guy in sweatpants and, and a scarred up face. And now that guy's hitting him with the washboard. We thought it was genius, but the people are probably like, what is with the, what is this shit? You know? <laughs> 
Well, you know what? It's their loss, Tony. I would have loved it. I would have lapped that up. That would have been. <laughs> Those guys are having, they're, they're good friends of ours. They, uh, we did a lot of shows with them and they're really good. Jeff is a really good guy. He, uh, he ended up when, when stepsister broke up, he ended up kind of like staying loyal to Tom. So we don't really talk anymore, which is a shame. Yeah. I, oh, I haven't spoken to him, but definitely, uh, probably the most, one of the most interesting bands, I think, ever in punk, like one of the craziest discographies. Totally, totally. Jeff is, uh, he knows a lot about music. He knows a lot about 60s psych and, 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 uh, nuggets type bands. And he, he's way more cerebral than he kind of lets on in the image of the band, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they covered Sun Ra, you know? <laughs> like, what a weird... Right, right. Uh, and also knows a little bit about wrestling, too. Oh, he, uh, in, in their van, they had carpet from the set of, uh, Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling, one of the backdrops, original carpet. Wow. That... He was very proud of that. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> Those dudes, like, they'd stay at our house. So if Tom and I had a house together, and they were like, you know, like, you, so what do you guys want to do? You know, we'd have like a day off or something, you know, they'd come play up here, and then we'd have all day, and like, what do you guys want to do? And they're like, reckon we'll just watch some shoot interviews all day if that's cool. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Actually, you've been putting up bands for like, for uh for forever now right like since you were a teenager pretty much i scaled it down to people i i, I yeah. know or whatever but uh it sucks not having a place to go uh so i, I always try to have a decent house and if i if i could help out i i, I would i mean i just just because i know i mean it sucks we i remember rolling in many times especially at face value since we toured so much rolling into like fucking dubuque or fargo or or Conway, Arkansas, or Tri-Cities, Washington, and not knowing a fucking soul in town, and it just, it sucks, you know, I mean, you're, you're, you're left up to the, uh, the devices and whims of the people in the crowd, and that could be glorious, or it could be a fucking, uh, PCP Nazi-fueled nightmare, you never know what you're gonna get, so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it's funny, because, like, one of the shows that Face Value played on one of those tours has come up on this podcast on another episode. Where you guys play with Propagandi, I believe, outside of Portland one time, or maybe somewhere else. Uh, maybe I think I remember those. Yeah, we must have because I re- I had a ton of Propagandi stickers for years. Like I sure did um, <laughs> buy them, uh, you know. So they must have given them to us. So yeah, we probably did play with. I think we did. I think maybe in Eugene or someplace. Uh, I think I seem to remember that Pacific Northwest. They yeah. were like real young. They were. I think they were just young, real young kids. Yeah, it was like before the first LP. But uh, Chris Hanna, when he was on the show, said that you were the only person that was into them on that American tour after the first show where they opened for Jawbreaker. Oh, uh, well, you know, they're probably pretty good. And there's nothing worse than playing. And, you know, like we play a lot of shows and, we, you know, it was nothing like it is now. I mean, yeah, they had like uh, I think Book Your Own Life, maybe first one had come out. But prior to that, you got what was called The List. And it was like uh, – you get it from like Discord or, uh, and then this, some band called Eight Bark started putting out a list and it was like all these bookers and shows and clubs. But, you know, sometimes you book a show through a club, which is absolutely the worst thing you ever want to do. And God knows what kind of bands they pair you with or what kind of club you're playing. You, you don't know. There's no internet. You're booking a show in fucking, uh, uh, Pocatello, Idaho. You have no idea what you're going to get in. So you play some of these shows and if there's no one up front, or even if there is, I mean, just gotta do the right thing and support the fucking bands you're playing with, you know? Yeah. 
Well, you know, and I guess this goes back to like bands saying your house, like you're that guy, like, you know, it's like a tagline that I stole from you that I use on this show about like, you know, well, I, I paraphrase it now to start your own culture, but like you were like on stage saying like, go out there, start a fanzine, start a band, start a label, do, do something, get involved and like support the scene. And it's like, it's really a community that only exists because of the community. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, if I'm still like, if someone cares enough to interview me on their podcast, uh, well, that wouldn't happen if, if I didn't just have some gumption and decide, I, you know, uh, to go after something that I wanted. Uh, I mean, punk rock is pretty, punk rock is pretty attainable. Yeah. Really. If, if I'm any of any minor renown, well, then that just proves that anyone, truly anyone can do it. Well, you say minor renown, but I an article came up on the other podcast that I do footnotes where you were brought up in uh, Cleveland Plain Dealer because of the resemblance you have to a member of the Cavaliers. Oh, yeah, the Del Vadova. They're always writing about me. Uh, I don't know. Maybe because I just take their calls. I really don't know. <laughs> well, I said on that podcast, Tony, that you're way better looking than that dude. Pardon me? You're way better looking than that dude. <laughs> yeah, he, man, that dude's got some, I don't know, he, he looks like he's on lewds or something. <laughs> and definitely, he does not have your zest for life, I'll put it. <laughs> um, but back to the band staying at your house, like, and last time we talked about the worst band ever that stayed at your house, but like, you know, before we went on air, you are talking about, you know, another band that stayed at your house that had to get thrown out. What were some of the, what are some of the other bands, maybe not as terrible as stealing your records, but have you've had to deal with by throwing them out of the house? Uh, I don't know. Most, I haven't really had any, uh, I mean, if I had a horrible experience like that, it would come to mind immediately. I really can't. You said no effects. Yeah. Well, they, they, they didn't, uh, they just kind of showed up. We had a, a house with like five or six of it. It was me. Dwid lived there. The, this guy, Sam, who was in, uh, uh, fall soap, Chris Smith from fall soap, a bunch of like, uh, you know, punk rockers, lived there and those dudes just showed up on Coventry, which is kind of this hangout area in kind of the Greenwich village area of uh, Cleveland called Coventry. So that's back in the day you'd have a, it was kind of like this mall, this kind of like yard area on the street and everyone, you'd go down there Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and there'd be like 75, a hundred people, mostly freaks, art freaks or goths or punk rock kids or hardcore kids or strange kids that was the place to go if you're punking around and you're looking for fellow punks. So those guys, I guess they had a show cancel or something that just showed up on Coventry one day and uh, they got the word, oh, the Mosh Houses, uh, those are the guys, you know. And uh, somehow they came over our house and I think they were just being real assholes and they were just asked to leave, basically. Uh, I'm trying to think. I mean, we had everyone stay over. I think Nirvana stayed over. Uh, really? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I, I think I was working. I worked at a pizza place, but I seem to remember someone bringing them home. Were you into them at all or no? I really know, didn't know too much about them, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, uh, this is like, you know, first album era, but there was a club called Euclid Tavern that that guy Derek Hester did all those type of shows, all the AMRAP bands. And he would book them. Uh, so, you know, our house kind of became known as like, you know, Oh, Murphy's Law is in town. They're staying with us. You know, it was kind of cool and sometimes it wasn't, but most of the things were, were cool. Uniform Choice were great. Those guys just busted Chubby's ball, Chubby Fresh's balls all night long. It was fucking hilarious. <laughs> and when they left in the, I got up in the morning, they had left, but they left 
uh, one or two of every single thing of merch that they had, and that band had a ton of merch. Uh, I don't know, up front was stayed at our house for like two weeks. Uh, you name it, Tad, I think, stayed with us. All kinds of weirdos stayed with us. Yeah. So, like, at what point, I guess, like, jumping back to to Stepsister, like, Stepsister kind of breaks up, and did you, it's a, you didn't do, what did you do, after Cheap Tragedies next, or no? Was it no, we started Amstel 11 the next 11, day. yeah. And Amstel 11. Literally the next day. Yeah, the next day we started the band. Fucking, I was dating this chick, Michelle, her twin sister, Karen, was dating the drummer, Scott, who was also Tom Dark's brother, and we lived in the same house. You talk about a total clusterfuck, like just uh, the most bizarre soap opera you could get. Well, uh, I was a shitty boyfriend. Michelle broke up with me. Uh, so then, of course, Karen, in a show of solidarity with her twin, tells Scott, you can't be in a band with the evil Tony. He's a dick. You know, cheat on my sister. Uh, so Scott goes, yeah, I quit. So, uh, so then Tom was like, well, I'm quitting. I go, Tom, it's your own band. How can you even quit? There is no band. And then, uh, you know, I go, that's all right. We got, we're going to put together something else. And then he immediately, well, never mind. But we just started a, another band like right away. And, uh, I think we were, played our first show like two weeks later. I mean, we just started practicing. We we're pissed. And meanwhile, I still had to live in the fucking same house as Tom for like another couple months. Talk about awkward. I can only imagine at that point. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's maybe when we stayed with you or no, maybe it was another time maybe when I stayed with you and it was like a kind of a rough situation, but maybe that was just, Oh, well, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? I've been in a lot of rough situations. <laughs> did Did you guys tour, uh, at all? Like, well, yeah, I guess you did that tour with, uh, uh, Eagles of death metal, right? Yeah. We did some shows with them, uh, more with, what was it being Nashville pussy? Uh, what was it being Artemis Pile Driver uh, from Atlanta and uh, just those kind of bands, you know, that whole rock revival thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, but did you guys, and you guys put out a couple records, right? We put out, yeah, we put out one full length and then we put out a split with this real good band from LA called the Street Walking Cheetahs. Oh, that's who I was trying to remember. Did they also do a split with with Stepsister? No, stepsister. We just put out like that one, that one CD. Okay, and that was it. Okay, I think. Wait a minute. I, no, I no. Stepsister has a split with Streetwalking Cheetah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So those bands kind of interchange sometimes. But yes, yeah, that's right. You're right. And the Amps Eleven, we just put out the one record, and then we had half the other one written, and uh, a couple guys in the band. I don't know. They got it in their head. Well, we're gonna get it like. Uh, it just got fucked up. This guy had a band called Welcome to Bangkok and basically took half our band and uh they thought they were gonna they thought they were gonna out rock. Yeah, they thought they were gonna do you know, put it reinvent the wheel, which it just like flopped miserably and then uh that was that. So but you you take a couple years off before you did another thing, right? Like Yeah, I don't think I had a band for a couple of years. Then I had that band Cheap Tragedies for a while after yeah. that. So what made you kind of want to get back into doing stuff again? Oh, I, I knew a couple of those guys in that band, uh, but they didn't have a name. And uh, the one guy maybe posted something on MySpace, like he had some of these songs written, riffs, and uh, maybe drums. But he, they were like talking about going to record this stuff. And they am a singer. I told him, oh, that stuff, stuff sounds sweet, man. I'll sing, you know. And that was that. And then we 
so we started the band and uh i gave it the name because i really love that avengers song that's like my favorite avengers song but it's like an extra it's only on the cd mm. uh, or in rap music for rap people oh that's right i think i was like i don't have that cd but i've definitely heard that song but yeah, yeah. That um so and you guys you guys play you guys actually did a lot like right like two rec two seven inches and like an lp chris callahan put out the one he drew the cover art too which is sweet it's like this pinball machine i didn't know he was such a good artist but uh he did that single we he drew that pushed. cover yeah that's what he told me yeah. wow that's crazy i had no idea that's fantastic well we played uh we played uh we, i can't remember if that was uh oh yeah the first record was uh like that guy tim mcmahon like um or some friend of his had a record label and it was like uh live wire thing. yeah live wire i think yeah. that was the guy in his band or something i can't remember but uh his whole thing was do these limited runs. And then we had, uh, Brian Wellsby did the, uh, cover art for that. And it was pretty sweet. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then, uh, so that was pretty good. And then we did, uh, then we played in Burlington with brutal nights. And, uh, what was the Chris Callahan band? It was, they were kind of like metalish, but pretty big. You know, they went First. all over. Cursed, right. We played with those guys. And Chris was like, oh, I love your band. I'll put it off a record. I go, really? <laughs> okay, sweet. <laughs> we did. And he got it out quick, and it was real good. And then, uh, yeah, then so we had a little bit of a run. And then we put out the other record with the guy from Montreal, Dan Skibra, uh, who was in that band, the Omegas. Mm-hmm. And he was like, a really good friend for the Nine Shocks Day. So, you know, we toured around, and we started having member changes. And that's just, man, that's always the fucking death knell for a band when you start going through members. It, it might... One guy here or there is one thing, but when you start losing guys and it just, it just sucks. And it, it's just never, man, it's such a, it sets the band back. I think a year, every time or six months, it's just, it, it just blows it ruins the momentum. And then I, you know, I don't know. I started losing interest too, because I think John, the founder of the band kind of wanted to do more like, in his words, like sad bastard type music. I mean, he's very musical. He can do that Lucero stuff, but I'm like, you know, dude, I, I don't know how to do old smoke. I just can't pull it off. <laughs> it ain't going to work. And plus, oh, I remember he told me, he goes, yeah, I want the face valuer, but not the current day. <laughs> like, what do you mean by that? He's like, you know, just kind of the more positive guy. I go, well, those days are in the past, man. <laughs> <laughs> and so they didn't like the, you know, like playing shows. And I mean, first show we played, like people were fucking throwing shit everywhere, fireworks and stuff. And I don't think, I don't think they like that kind of thing, you know. Which is funny too, because like I, I, I don't know, I, I was there a change? Like, do you think that you've changed from back then? Because I still find you super posy, especially in the um, live setting. I don't know, you know. I think so. I guess I don't know, but I like it wild, you know. I mean, yeah. I, this whole thing, like you know, like unity and uh brotherhood and you know it's just it's, dude it's like I, it's not me man it was me at one point but then i saw you know the world for what it really was and uh i just i can't pretend to be like this unifying force and you know i it just it's a, even if i felt that way man it just, it just comes off as so fucking beaver cleaverish you know i i I don't know. I just naturally want to get up there and raise hell and, and start some shit, I guess. You know, it just makes me happy, I guess. So maybe I'm on that. Maybe I'm an asshole. I don't know, but I just can't. 
if there's something I can throw or jump off or, you know, it just don't, it's just going to happen. And I'm not even going to think twice about it. And I, I don't know. Maybe that kind of rubs some of those guys the wrong way. It's funny too. Cause like, it almost felt like in the nineties, hardcore caught up to you at a certain point and everyone kind of was like, yeah, we want shows to be crazy. But like, maybe, maybe the, it did. Yeah. I don't know. But then it's like funny. Cause like, then there came a point where everyone's like, okay, now it's, now we want to be a little calmer again. But it's got to come back. Like people are going to be wanting crazy stuff. People still want crazy stuff now. Well, here's the thing. I just do what I do. If it's good, so be it. If I mean, the other people can be the judge. I, I you know, I, I'm just gonna. I don't think I, you know, I think I'm self-aware enough not to put out a subpar band and try to flog it down people's throats. People will let you know real quick, but uh, uh, I don't know. I just don't really. Be quite honest. I haven't really grown as an artiste really at all i'm kind of stuck doing what i do and you can either like it or not it's just how it is yeah well and i love it tony i love it so don't you change well thanks it means a lot you know i love your your band too very much oh man well now now it's just gonna get gushy and weird so we gotta gotta move on (laughs) 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 um so i like is there any one of your bands that you would have liked? I know you mentioned before Nine Chalks Terror, how you thought like it should have carried on, but are there any bands that you wish you could have carried on with more? Do you think that had more life in them? Yeah, Upstab, we should have kept going. My brother uh, moved yeah. to Phoenix. That that band was uh, really hitting its stride. We had some good songs. I joined. I mean, I was the third bass player, but I was in it for a good year and a half. I started taking over the booking and stuff, and we were playing some sweet shows, and you know, it was cool playing with my brother again. And, uh, yeah, I think that band could have really become a crusher, but he left. Yeah. Like it, that band, I never got to see live, but I fucking love those three, seven inches. Like, yeah. The songs are awesome too, oh, man. The songs that never got recorded that we made like a eight track demo or fucking sweet. So what, yeah. Like did your, your brother just decide to move back and I guess it's, you didn't want to do something across country at that point. Well, he moved to Phoenix. How can you have a band when the guy lives in Phoenix? I live here. We've had members that lived in England. Who? Uh, Jonah lived in England for a while. Oh, your band? Uh, yeah. yeah, but you guys, come on. You guys are like a fucking another level. We're just some jerk-offs that work like, you know, we're nine-to-five lifers. You guys are like, you know, like totally different. That's, I don't know how he does it. I, we were supposed to do a run with career suicide, and then he goes, well, I got to go. My wife lives in England, so now I can't do it. Yeah, like he, uh, he is the hardest working man in uh small C or small S showbiz. I was going to say small yeah. C celebrity, but I was going to say small S showbiz. Yeah. I don't know, man. I just, it's, I mean, my brother had his, his own thing going on. He basically, in, in a very bizarre, this is very bizarre, but he had a girlfriend uh, named Billy. And then Sean Philly had a girlfriend named Heidi. And they essentially like, for more or less, I mean, to boil it down to the most base uh, telling of the tale, they essentially switched girlfriends. My brother ended up with Sean's girlfriend. Sean ended up with my brother's girlfriend. A lot of friction going on there. So my brother and Heidi, who they went to Phoenix and uh, created a life for themselves out there, and he was out there for about eight years. Mm-hmm. So that was the end of the band, basically. I mean, what are you going to do? The guy, fucking singer's gone, you know? Mm-hmm. And that happened with the H100s. That's also the H100s ending, too. Right. It was the second time, man. This 
fucking second time he lived. The first time he went to New Mexico with the chick. The desert. Something about the desert call. Well, I give him a lot of credit. He's He's been able to pack up and leave and uh, be nomadic and just had the balls to go out there and, and do it. Well, I, I, I haven't. I've always been anchored, whether it's a job or a girlfriend or my own fears about uprooting and you know getting you get attached to material shit which is a terrible way to live in a lot of ways because it's just junk really it's i mean even the cool stuff like records and classic cars it's just stuff the experiences are what makes a life and uh you know people are different but i've i've never been able to separate myself i'm you know now now i can't go nowhere because i get this house but my brother, he uh, he's living in Chicago, New Mexico, Arizona, all over the fucking place. So good for him. But you've gotten to travel, right? Like it's not like you haven't gotten to go places. You've been in bands. Uh, oh sure, I just uh, I just kind of wish that I had like w- when Face Value were like touring our asses off three months every summer and coming home to someone's couch or you know maybe a storage shed or some shit like that. I wish I could have done that more with Nine Shocks and, and maybe uh, went for broke, say, okay, well, let's all get like a house or a tiny place together and just stay on the road like six months a year, like, you know, like like Flag used to do or some bands like that. Mm-hmm. But by that time that band happened, I was too old in the tooth to really do that. Plus, I got sick and I could, you know, if I can't, I got to have the health insurance, uh, you know, because I got to need this insulin. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I heard my dad's voice in the back of my head all, the whole time, like, Anthony, you got you got to stop jumping around from job to job and, you know, always with a different girl and you're moving around. You know, he made a lot of, you know, it pissed me off then, but in the back of my mind, I knew he was right, you know. Yeah, and I guess, like, it, it's hard to kind of, like, when you're in those moments to, like, you know, the last thing when you're on the road, at least for myself, is, like, you want to do is stay out there when it's yeah. over. You kind of want to go home. When you want to go home, but man, you know, like say you're home and you're working for a couple months and then that first kick ass day of spring, you're like, fuck, I got to, dude, I got to book Buffalo. Fuck this. We got to go home. You know, <laughs> it just bites you. You're just like, you get the water lust, man. Like, you know, it really sucks. I think about that. I was thinking about the other day, man, I might never get to see like places like Iowa or, or Montana or all these cool places that I got to go because of these dumb bands. Uh, and I might never get to see, uh, middle America like that ever again, let alone Europe or Japan, you know? Well, like, I'm, I'm sure you could tour, right? I like, can't, I, I can't, I can't can. do it. I, yeah. There's no, in the trades, you don't get any paid time off. So, yeah. I mean, it's hard to leave uh, all that money on the tag and a wife and a house and dogs, you know, I got to take care of these people. So you need just like so all those lucrative promoters in the Midwest throw yeah, that money. Right, yeah, right. A fucking Mansfield, Ohio is knocking on. Oh, they offered me seventy five bucks last week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, now you can just do it for a fun road trip. You can go on that. It's always, it's always fun, brother. Always. Yeah. Well, you could do. The, you could go on the Pig Champion uh, Fix Vengeance tour for a holiday. <laughs> Which is which is still my dream to do one day is to like go on a just a record hunting trip, but I have kids, so I'll never be able to do that. Yeah, hey man, for Andy Demps posted that first uh, Minor Threat single is a thousand dollar record now, so uh, yeah, maybe you can uh, go on the great uh, you know look for a barn find somewhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cash in. 
<laughs> I, I, I am still, my one Tony that I've been looking for forever is the dismantled test press. That is the, uh, that's the white whale. That's the one that's going to get me to empty the kids' college funds and, uh, put mortgage on the house and have to. What, what band? The H100s. Oh, uh. Dismantled. The first single. Well, we never, you know, we never called that record Dismantled, but I might have one if I can find, I, I think I'm sure I got one I can give you because I know there was a, uh, we re-rejected the first test pressing because it was, uh, they scratched the lacquers on side too. We had a big to-do. I had to argue with those assholes at United because uh, they kept saying, oh, it's vinyl noise, it's vinyl noise, but it didn't sound anything like side one, which was clear as a bell. Yeah. So after, you know, and they they would send another test pressing, it's the exact same fucking thing, the same problem. And it's not, and you, there was this old mushmouth fucking uh, redneck down there, uh, Mr. Simpkins, and you'd have to call this guy. It was, must have been a real mom and pop operation because uh, you'd, you'd call this one number and some old, old lady was probably the secretary at Sun Records. So yeah, hold on, Mr. Simpkins is in the back. And then you'd get a hold of this fucking guy. Oh, no, I think that's just the vinyl noise. You know, this guy talked like he uh, had a mouthful of marbles and then you just had to dicker with this guy. And finally, they got it right. But I might have one for you. Well, that is an amazing thing to hear. Um, and I did not tell you that story to try and elicit that. But also... Yeah, it's crazy to think that United used to be the place that, you know, even until like a couple, a few years ago, maybe not a couple years ago now, but I would call there and be like, hey, how's that record coming? Like, and it would still be that probably the same woman answering the phone. Right. And, and, you know, you'd probably dealing with the same guy who was, you know, screwed up everything. But now with third man records, you're never getting a record pressed at United. Like it's impossible to get in there now. Oh, why is that? It's because Third Man Records presses all their stuff there. Well, who the fuck is Third Man Records? That's Jack White's label. Oh, they have wow. they have sold over a million pieces of vinyl since they really. Came. Yeah, they, it's it's what? like they have the first record that sold over a hundred thousand copies for a vinyl record. It's that Jack White record they put out. Oh wow, it's crazy. Like that's in like going to their store or their like office complex store thing it's like it's truly like this is like a, a a tribute to the power of records like if you can harness the power of these little magical discs you can yeah. make this apparently. apparently well you know uh he's got one of those he's got one of the few ones left in the world one of those 1940s uh things where you go in and you cut your own record you know like one of those booths he's got a restored one those things are like a million bucks I recorded the anti-Symex intro on there for. No way. Yep, that was my. I was like, "What do I know off the top of my head?" So, organization <laughs> to art. <laughs> but yeah, like it's crazy. You go there, they've got all this stuff. It's like it's it's nuts that like I don't know. It's cool that that exists. That there's a place where I can go and have access to something like that. You know, and yeah, like, sure, right. Because I got to make that record, and and even fucked up wouldn't let me make that record. <laughs> well, we have a pressing plant here. This guy uh, bought some, uh, you know, warehouse full of pressing stuff from some place that went under back in the seventies. And so we have got a groove records here in Cleveland, which is going great guns. And a lot of people get their records pressed here now. Yeah. Apparently it's like, like they're backed up. Everyone's backed up. Like you can't get a record press right now. And I was reading an article today. That they're going to start making new presses. Yeah. I heard that too. Well, we're, who the hell knows when this record's going to come out on tank crimes, you know? 
Yeah. What? What is it coming out soon? Or what's the deal? I hope so. Yeah. I, uh, I really hope so. We were supposed to go out there for do a quick tour of California, and then I got fucked due to work, and I couldn't go out. It really sucked to cancel. A lot of people hooked us up at sweet shows, but uh, that'll come out, and that'll be fantastic. And uh, you know, the guy's a good label, and this record is gonna just absolutely fucking rip balls open. And it's a good record. Yeah, like I really think that uh, you know, introducing you to Scotty might be one of the coolest things I've done. Yeah, yeah. You know, I guess I knew him. Like, I forgot he was in Votesec, you know, but yeah. Uh, yeah, that was fantastic. You know, you you uh, you set that whole thing in, in motion and uh, it's a million thanks for that. No, hey, no, I'm, I, I'm glad to play a small part because, yeah, I wanted to bring up, of course, Fuck You, Pay Me. How did that all come together? Oh, we did a, a, a face value reunion. It was this big, giant show. With bands that were, it was like a Cleveland centric thing, right? Mm-hmm. Unite Lee or something like that. The headliner was Mushroom Head, believe it or not. You know this band? They wear, uh, they're like have bad heavy metal, they wear masks and stuff. I mean, I know some of those guys are old time metalheads who are, are nice guys. Well, there's also uh, a hardcore connection too, right? Uh, well, no, the, well, yeah, that guy Jason Popson was in, uh, yeah. he's like with DeWitt, uh, did a bunch of records, I think. Uh, yeah. And he, band oh uh fuck um I, i'm picturing the cover in my mind um oh it's killing me oh well, he's a good guy anyhow and yeah. he was in cold blood in, yeah right he was on that first in cold blood yeah. and then there was another band that he had uh he's had several but anyhow so yeah kind of a he's been in and out of that band i think he was back in for that show but so it was this jam-packed show at this old theater that really has not been open in a long time, but it's technically it can still be open for certain shows. So they opened the show. It was a jam-packed show. Mushroom Head got to like $22,000. <laughs> uh, then Spud Monsters was the, the next big band, and they got about $5,000. And uh, so then we were the next big draw. So meanwhile, you had probably a couple hundred people coming to this show to see face value paying 30 bucks a head, which I had no idea was that much. Right. Uh, you know, so there's several people that came to that show, saw our band and left. Right. Mm-hmm. <coughs> so I go get paid for this guy. He's fucking crying the blues about, well, you, you know, the same, you know, at the minute you walk in the office, say, I heard every story in the fucking book. Uh, and I, just, I, I, you know, this guy's like, well, you know, I, I, Fuck you, pay me, basically, just came out of my mouth. And the guy's like, I don't have, you know, the, I'll put you on the list tomorrow. It's a rap show. I go, you ain't putting me on the list. I'm fucking coming down here in the afternoon when you open up, and you're going to have money for me. This is fucking bullshit. We drew a ton of people, and then half of them came, seen our band, and checked out. They went home. They paid $30 for one band. This is bullshit. So I went back the next day, and he paid me, but it was a light envelope I wasn't too happy with. And I was telling the guys I had – I, I had Aaron from Amstel Eleven, Steps to Strong Guitar, and then we had the bass player, uh, and we had Steve from uh, Fuck You Pay Me on Drums for the Space Value thing. So basically the only original guys were me and the guitar player. The bass player was in prison again, so we had to have a different guy. So we, we had this guy, and then we had Steve on drums, and I, I had Aaron on second guitar. We had never, never had a second guitar player, but I thought it would just sound good so mm-hmm. bottom line is after the show we were talking i go you know this fucking jerk off with this 
you know, fucking me around. I have to go there the next day. He gives me a shitty light envelope. Mushroom Head gets $22,000, and I'm going there, driving there the next day in the afternoon for my fucking paltry envelope of 500 bucks. You know, this sucks. It's total bullshit. I mean, if you're charging $30 a ticket, and it's some big Cleveland, like, to-do with these old bands, you know, what the fuck? This is bullshit. I go, we should just start just a vicious hardcore band that is just, like, totally simplistic and, and simple and primitive and come out and just absolutely fucking lay waste and, you know, just name the band Fuck You, Pay Me. And so that's that's kind of how that band was born. <laughs> that's awesome. And so, yeah, like, why why if that why hasn't Face Value done more reunion shows? Well, we did enough. Jesus Christ, we probably did five or six, you know. We've become this band that someone uh, is sick or dying and then we're like the fucking band to play the funeral march, which is terrible. We played a benefit for my buddy Sean Wenzel who passed away. He was a great straight edge kid from Canton, Ohio. Imagine me in Canton, Ohio being in a punk, let alone straight edge. You're talking about a fish out of water. This guy was a true blue, great guy. He died of brain cancer. We played that benefit. Then we played the benefit for my best friend, Jim Connie, who died in, in October while he was laid up with the stroke. You know, we didn't know if he was going to come out and we did this benefit. And, uh, but I'm a little tired of, I mean, enough is enough. We've done a million, re, uh, reunions and they're usually for some morbid cause. So mm-hmm. I just would rather not do another one. Like I, and I know we talked a lot about face value last time, but one of the things I never asked you about was like the fact that you were on nemesis records. What was dealing with nemesis records? Like, cause that oh, he's a great guy. Yeah. It's big Frank. He was a great dude. It's such a cool label, like such a weird label that put out like obviously tons of stuff with people that would go on to do, unbelievable things in music and what like what a diverse range of things that he put out yeah he was just an awesome dude i knew him from uh from the instead guys you know we were as good friends we played a lot of shit we did tour with instead a couple runs with instead east coast then we toured all we toured all over the place with those guys and uh that's how i met frank and igby and all those dudes from zed records and uh i made him maybe send him a uh letter and said hey if you want to put out a seven inch and rub me back, it's like, yeah, sounds good to me, you know. So, so we did a record. Maybe we should have done a studio record, but all we had at the time was live shit laying around. So we put out that live single. But he was a great guy. He uh, was tattooing at Bob Roberts Spotlight Tattoos on Melrose, which this guy was like a legend. Uh, Bob Roberts, a very famous tattoo guy. So uh, Big Frank tattooed me out there, and he was a really good dude. He's sick now. He's got some fucking kind of cancer or something. Oh, jeez, I didn't know that. That's horrible. Yeah, there's some kind of, I just found out maybe a week ago, too. There's a benefit going on for him. Oh, well, uh, we'll, we'll definitely talk about that benefit on the show at the top. But um, oh, that's uh, terrible to hear. But, yeah, like, it's a it's an unbelievably kind of, like, I guess, like, speaks to kind of the diversity of stuff that was going on in the late 80s into the early 90s as far as music goes and, and hardcore goes, like, that you'd have all these bands that could fit on one label and it would be like visual discrimination and the offspring and like, (laughs) you know, like, like reason to believe and all, all sorts of bizarre stuff that would, you know, doesn't fit, but on nemesis. Right. And we were a weird old band too. I mean, we kind of start off like in the old straight edgy thing, but we were a band that would play anywhere with anyone. And we were kind of versatile. We had those guitar solos and stuff. So Mm -hmm. like the rockers or whatever, you know, the weirdos kind of latched onto that. And, uh, we played with, I remember we played the offspring open for us. Uh, uh, and, uh, I remember that the, those guys sold, they were selling jorts, offspring jorts. <laughs> what? 
Yeah. Well, that was the thing. Remember, there was no effects jorts too. <laughs> then we had to, we had the night off. We had the next day off. This was in South Carolina, and uh, I think downtown the guitar player hooked up with the barmaid. So we stayed at her house, and she goes, "Yeah, you should come to the club tomorrow night. Foghat's playing." We're like, "Okay." She goes, "Holy shit! Let me call Ricky, my boss. You guys should play with Foghat." We're going, "Okay." <laughs> so we played with we played with Foghat the next night, man. And those dudes didn't get the memo memo that they're not playing the day on the green in Oakland anymore. They still got this giant fucking tour bus. They were playing Rockefellers in Columbia, South Carolina. <laughs> so these dudes, you know, we were at the show and. These dudes show up in their big bus, you know. It's just like Lonesome Dave and like you know Ham and Eggers, basically. But uh, they got summer. They're fucking. They got stuck in the mud. And they were asking us to push their bus out. And we we're like, fuck <laughs> you. <laughs> that is that is awesome to be playing with. You know, you guys caught a band on the ascent and a band on the descent. Right, in consecutive nights, right. Consecutive and all the whole time, I'm like, I'm walking around humming that Sockeye song, Don't Fuck With Foghead. <laughs> uh, that's another band that, like, you know, was so infamous, but doesn't really get brought up very much anymore, Sockeye. No, it was, it was the first show I ever played in a club was opening for Sockeye in 86. Wow, and also, Propagandi's first record is a, is a three-way split with Sockeye. Oh, that's right, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many different versions of sockeye and their associated weirdo bands man i can't even name them off it's you know like boy in love and uh, i mean i think i matt Lindsay was at my wedding he was an old version of sockeye but i mean there's their their output is like it's huge i mean it's you huge. can't even count but but you can all sing along to the hits the retarded fellow lives down the block for 25 dollars you'll suck on your cock you know? <laughs> <laughs> could only come out of fucking kent ohio man yeah like there's there's a and what's that label out of michigan depression records and uh i'm trying to remember the name of the the, the band but there was some band that i heard like there was some weird M- michigan outside you know detroit type thing but they used to throw like meat at people in the crowd like, you're not thinking like from a long time ago boom and the legion of doom yeah boom and the legion of doom that's what i'm thinking of yeah they fought youth of the day i think they stole all their equipment too they fought youth of the day I think they threw meat at them, and then they got in a fight, and they, they might have stole their gear, broken their van, stole their gear. I seem to remember that happening in 87. Whoa. Yeah, that, pretty sure. that band, Boom and the Legion of Doom, has some of the most, like, there's another record on that label that has the most terrifying cover I've ever seen. It's like, <laughs> it is so disturbing. I picked it up like last year at a record store and it's giving me nightmares as a 30 something year old adult. Oh yeah. What band? I'm trying to remember what they're called now. I'm going to have to like uh, almighty lumberjacks of death or something. No, no, I definitely know that band too. No, this was called, uh, it was depression records. That's the name of their label, right? I don't know, man. You know more than me. It's depression. And the band was called slaughterhouse and it's called mommy's little panty boys. The name of the seven inch. Oof, uh, I'll have to ask some of my, my Detroit peoples about it. You know, Detroit is like, uh, they don't play in Detroit. Even like, you know, the more intellectual types are still like hardened street grits. I mean, like those dudes from uh, uh, the Bondsmen and uh, Devious Ones and all those guys. I mean, those dudes like, you know, D- Detroit's a rough town and, you know, they're, they're 
nice, smart, progressive people, but they'll fucking scrap in a heartbeat. It's just, it's just how it is growing up in Detroit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no. It's like, like I remember playing, uh, what was that record store right at Cass's corner? Oh, I can't, I can't remember, but I do remember, I'll tell you a funny story about Detroit. I remember playing on the instead tour and we played at Blondie's, which is like this notorious fucking real, real choke and puke bar, man. And uh, it was the night that, uh, I just remember getting there. It had to be 90 or maybe 91. But we get there, and Larry Holmes was fighting, like, the latest great white hope. You know, they'd always try to find some white guy in boxing, you know, to appeal to the, you know, the, the racists and whatever, middle America, right? Yeah. So this was just, like, the latest guy who was going to get his corn creamed. So that was the big fight was happening that night. And the doorman at Blondie were loading our gear, and he, suddenly he's sitting on the stool, he puts his leg across the doorway, he goes, So... Who's gonna win tonight, Larry Holmes? He goes. He goes. He, he goes. Whatever the white guy's name is, or the. Uh, I go. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dick the bruiser. I really know. He's like, ah, fucking. F- let's go ahead and lower your shit in. You know, I'm like, wow. It's my blondies. Like, uh, you know, I mean, and there's like a fucking shitload of like gnarly looking skinheads. It's like, what are you gonna say? You just, you know. Stick your head down, don't say shit, load your gear in it, and, and play, and hope you don't get fucking murdered and get the fuck out of there. So after the set, after the show, everyone's saying their goodbyes, we're like, we're getting the fuck out of here. And the dude from Pitbull, uh, who also played, this is in Blondie's, this is the worst ghetto in Detroit. So the guy has half a mic stand, like Freddie Mercury style, and he's saying goodbye to everyone. All right, guys, see you later, taking off, going home. The guy grabs half the mic stand and just starts cutting through backyards behind Blondie's, like, in the worst fucking neighborhood ever. I'm like, holy shit, man. Too rich for my blood, man. Fuck this. This is out of control, man. Yeah, like, I think I think the thing that's scary about Detroit, there, like, when, you, when you're there on tour and stuff in, like, downtown Detroit, is how empty everything is and just how there's just, like, no one around. It's crazy. We, we just did a – well, we play up there all the time, and uh, we got really good friends up there, but – I had never bothered to go to uh, pay my respects to the Grande, so I had my friend Rob from the Bill Bondsman mm-hmm. take us there, and it was, he's like, I'll take the scenic route. So, of course, we go through, like, just – I mean, it, after a while, it's no longer like, ooh, look at all this ruin porn. You, you feel almost sick to see what the hardworking men and women of Detroit have suffered through. I mean, you talk about uh, – uh, these banks that just fucking uh, did people so wrong with these mortgages and the shit. These houses, I mean, you see empty houses in Cleveland stuff, but nothing like Detroit where every other house is burned out. I mean, they're just burned out. It's just insane. We got to the Grande and we were there for, you know, like, you know, a few minutes. You could feel the ghosts of Sonic and Rob Tyner and whatnot, you know, and you're looking at the building, all the ornate stone masonry and whatnot and uh, taking pictures and then, Within about three minutes, uh, the neighborhood denizens uh, started approaching. We we're like, "Oh, time to go!" You know, mm-hmm. get the man. We're getting the fuck out of here. But it, it's crazy. I mean, it's a tough city to live in. Yeah, you know, it is. It's definitely like, you know, who were you playing with? Like, I guess Pitbull was like, who else would have been playing at those in Detroit? Well, Feisty Cadavers or yeah, Feisty Cadavers or uh, Just Cause was a banner. Just... Yeah, know? yeah, they were around. Uh, I don't know. Then that relapse band came on, but they were kind of like, I mean, I had been, I went there a few times in the eighties just to see shows. I think false hope played up there tagged along or something, but 
maybe relapse, but they were from the burbs. I mean, those guys were like totally white bread suburban dudes. Nice guys, but they were not living on Chaos Quarter, that's for sure. Pitbull's sick, though. That band is awesome. That 1990. They were pretty good, and I remember DeWitt picked a fight with that guy. Oh. He, just, he had that Blood Book fancy, and he picked a fight with Mikey, is his name. Uh, and he's a big boy, you know, a uh, big blocky dude, you know, and, uh, he's also like, he lives in Detroit. Like that dude's probably being a big pudgy dude's probably fucking fighting every day of his life, you know, going through high school. So Dwight talked all this shit on him and blood book fanzine, you know, I mean, it's pretty funny, but it's like, how do you think that you're not going to be, someone's going to fuck you up for this shit. You know, he's calling the guy death Billy and fat slob this and that. So he played some show value, played some show in Flint and, uh, and that guy came looking, uh, <laughs> and, uh, in the all time classic, uh, I've never seen a puss out like this in my life. He would happen to be there with us. He wrote for us. And, uh, this guy's like, are you Dwid? And he goes, Dwid's in jail. I'm his brother, John. <laughs> <laughs> and that Mikey guy just looks at him like, Okay, like, you know, like, what am I going to do? Like, this is, like, beyond comical, you know. <laughs> uh, it's amazing how, like, it's like fanzines. It's like, you, you, you think, like, you just say it, you're like, oh, no one's going to hear this, and then you're photocopying it and sending it out, and it's like, mm, probably the person's oh. going to hear it, what you said. Oh, yeah, he had guy. he'd always find some target, whether it was Frosty from Chain of Strength or... I mean, no, there's no rational reason they picked on these people. He just felt like it, I guess. I don't know. But. Well, it's fun. Like, there's certain, like, Frosty's someone that a lot of people, maybe it's just the name, but, like, you know, when people talk shit, it always, they're, like, I, I don't know why. Like, I, I, I love Chain of Strength, but, like, people are like, yeah, like, you know, Chain of Strength. Like, they, on this podcast, people have brought him up as, like, the T-shirt core band. Well, they were big phonies. I mean, come on. Not aside from that Ryan guy, uh, you know, who I saw in Justice League. But, I mean, those dudes posed. Then they posed that the cover shot on the same, which is a killer record. The first record's yeah. so great. And then they sucked after. The next record sucked. And then they just sucked ever since. But that was like taking at some practice studio that you rent. Like, I guess out there in California, you got to rent these things by the hour or whatever. So they just, like, rented the fucking thing and, you know, dressed up, had the perfectly gelled hair and whatnot. I mean, that's setting yourself up to be uh, you know, a target of derision for years to come. You know what I mean? That that also uh, set the stage for As We Once Were to do the same thing with their demo, the pre-No Warning band. Ben from Fucked Up's first band. Oh, yeah? They they staged the demo <laughs> in their practice space, too. <laughs> like that. Well, you... <laughs> it's awesome. It's awesome. Well, Tony, I've kept you for so long, and I would love to keep talking to you more about wrestling and punk. But I know you got to work tomorrow morning. So do you want to call it for today until next time we meet for part three? Sure. That's, uh, you know, uh, thanks for having me on. I hope it was like some, I hope this stuff isn't like too insider or whatever for the, for the masses. But who cares? No, the people like, (laughs) believe me, this is what people want to hear about. This is what I want to hear about. And as I said before, like, you know, like, it's just, it's amazing, like, you know, the the people in my life that inspired me were inspired by you, and, and you inspired me directly, obviously, too, as I probably made it abundantly clear to everyone listening. So it's just like, you know, anytime I can have a chance to sit down and talk to you and kind of sit at the learning tree, I'm happy to do that. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I'll leave it with this, man. Uh, who knows what it's going to be like tomorrow when I wake up because it's the final day of the Republican National Convention here in town. I was going to say, town, like, yeah. There's, you, the whole town's been flipped upside down. It's been mostly a colossal flop. They had these all these businesses closed down, and bars are staying up to 4 a.m. Restaurants are staying open to 4 a.m. And it's been a big bust. They haven't done any business like they thought they were going to do. Yeah. Uh, but if anything's going to go down, it's going to go down tonight because, uh, you know, it's I, I, I said it's kind of like the fucking uh, uh, the studio commissary scene in, in Blazing Saddles. You have every fringe wacko group here imaginable from the fucking like bikers for Trump, KKK, uh, New Black Panthers, uh, 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 you know, like fucking you name it. They're all here. Uh, Westboro Baptist Church. Uh, every fringe element that's just looking for to start some shit, whether they have a platform or not, it's like they don't want to be left out of the party, man. So today, uh, I think it's it might be a long night. They're fucking like, uh, I guess they're putting placing stickers on. They're they're placing poisoned stickers on cops today, is what I heard. And then people are stabbing each other with syringes. Uh, Alan Jones is in the mix too. He's getting beat up. So yeah, God only knows. How the world's gonna shake out when I get up in the morning? Well, it's it's like I don't know. It's not like 1968 because it feels way more divided than things looked in 1968. Well, 68 was kind of like you know, you had a common no one in the war. You know, youth and hippie culture were at at, at its peak, and uh, the squares were against the hippies. But by and large, you're right. I think it was way more unified. Now you've got, I mean. You've got people with the Black Lives Matter message, which needs to be heard. I mean, it's a valid message, uh, but then you give people like undermining that with the Blue Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, and and uh, it, 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 it's like uh, fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so the tensions are are peak. The amosexuals are out in full force. The cops look. It looks like a military junta on the streets of Cleveland, and uh, it's pretty fucked up. Uh, the amosexuals? Yeah. That is you know. the best term I've ever heard for anything. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's a that's a gonna be a big hit single off our new record coming out on Tank Crimes later this fall. Wow. Look, ask for it by name. The new wow. Fuck You Pay Me LP dumbed down on Tank Crimes. Well that that is that is based on title alone, that is the turned out of punk song of the year. <laughs> Real good. I appreciate it, man. Well, Tony, I really appreciate you talking to me, man. I, I, as I say, thank you for everything, dude. Have a good night. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tony. And boy, do I have some bad news for you about how that whole election thing turned out. But, but good news that the city of Cleveland didn't burn after that Republican convention. So there you go. It's a good news bad news situation. Uh, Tony will be back for a part three um, because I love talking to him. I really love getting a chance to do that anytime I can. Uh, if you get a chance to see Fuck You Pay Me, do it. If you get an opportunity to pick up their record, it's on Tank Crimes. should be out any day now if it's not out already. Pick that up as soon as that thing comes out. He, he Pick up all the stuff he's ever put out because he has put out some unbelievable records. And you can hear Nine Shocks Terror on like streaming services, music streaming services. I was listening to some just the other day. 
Yep, Zen and the Art of Beating Your Ass, listening to on a streaming service. This is 2016. What a world we live in. Uh, they are, you know, in Nine Shocks Terror, I mean, H100s, I mean, all his bands. They are incredible. So thank you, Tony, for coming on the show. Next week on the show, we got to do another part two. And how do you how do you follow that up? So I had to follow it up with another part two that a lot of people have requested. Next week on the show, it's part two with Lars Fredrickson of the band Rancid. That's right. For everyone who's asked for it, everyone who requested it, thought it would take a long time for it to happen. Well, no, it didn't. And anyone who's thinking uh, there's no way a sequel can be better than the original, this might be the Godfather 2 of podcasts because it is somehow maybe better than part one. I know that's a controversial opinion about the Godfather and maybe a controversial opinion about this podcast, but this is an incredible episode. Oh my gosh. There are so many incredible things in this episode. So that is next week on the show. Please do me a favor and head over to DamienAbraham.com and pick up your tickets for the Turn Out of Punk Live uh, tour. Uh, I'm coming to a city near you, as mentioned on the top of the show. Subscribe to this thing, write a review, rate it if you use iTunes. Find me on social media, Aleph or Damien. Get your tickets to see Fucked Up in Detroit at fuckedup.cc. Um, and that, I, think, I think that's it. Oh, yeah. Check out Bloodlust. Check it out because it is grody at times. Eey. Anyway, that is it. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the show. If you, uh, you know, um, uh, if you want to make your own culture, go out there and do it because anyone can do it. And, and that's what Tony told me from the stage years ago. And let me tell you it from a podcast microphone today. Uh, also, yeah, once again, these road podcaster mics are incredible. Thank you very much to road for sending them because my gosh, do I love these things. So I appreciate the new ones very much. So as long as I've got this computer and I got this podcast, mic, I'm going to keep this podcast coming so you can, uh, Keep listening and go out there and make your own thing too. All right. Thank you, everyone. See you next week.